Podcasting has provided me the opportunity to meet some great photographers with whom I've enjoyed some wonderful conversations. But it's the friendships that I've made that have been an unexpected bonus of producing the show. There's Chris Marquardt in Germany, John Arnold in Great Britain, Jeff Curto in Chicago, and today's guest, my man in Japan, Martin Bailey. After the health scare he had last year, I'm, I'm so pleased to see that he's come through it so well and that he's here to share with you what's changed in his life and his photography since then. But to be quite frank, I'm just happy anytime I get to sit down and talk with my friend Martin. Hey, Martin. Welcome to the show. <laughs> very next. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Now, let, let's start off by just saying, setting some ground rules. No surprises today, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I might have a bit of an exclusive for you, but I'm not going to be... I'm, uh, thankfully, I'm not going to be dropping any, any really big bombs on you today. Yeah, yeah. Well, for, <laughs> for, for those people trying to figure out what we're talking about, when when the last time we did an interview, it was me on your show and yeah. uh you shared about the um the the brain tumor that that you had and how long ago was that now is it that was in june last year we'd beginning of june last year we literally found out that i'd got the brain tumor the day before we were set to talk so i was still in a little bit of shock and trying to figure out what to do you know whether to mention it or not and we, our conversation, I mean, we've spoken a number of times in different, different, for different reasons. And I, we always end up getting pretty deep into stuff. And you said a few things that made me think, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bring this out now. And, and that's what I did. And so I dropped a bomb on you and I felt bad about that. But I, oh. I think, I mean, but, but you, I mean, you were, you were, you were great though. I mean, you're as, as professional and, and human as ever. You know, you're still around. So obviously things are, <laughs> things are good. Why don't you update us on, on what's been happening with your health? I know you got some good news fairly recently. Yeah, sure. We, um, well, it, we had six months of, um, after the, the surgery where they, they had to leave a cyst about the size of a golf ball in the right side of my brain. Um, because they, they, they went after it a couple of times after they'd taken the tumor out from behind my nose and in the base of my brain. And they, they said, the doctor said afterwards, he said, I knew that you'd, you know, you were a professional photographer, you rely on your eyesight. And he said, he thought that if they went after the cyst, they would probably have damaged the optic nerve on my right eye and it probably would have, and even, you know, even both eyes. He said you probably would have ended up either blind or paralyzed. So neither is very good for, for being a photographer or, or, an, or an active human being. So yeah. he, he said that it, where some doctors will, will their, their pride will get in the way and they'll try and remove it 100%. He said he, he knew that it had got a good chance that he could reduce that with medication. And so they stopped there. And the result is, is that really I've, I've had absolutely no side effects, no after effects. And the medication, after three months, had redu reduced the golf ball down to about a tenth of its size. And then when we went back three months later, so just a few weeks ago, uh, for a six-month MRI, we, we found that the, all that's left of the cyst is like the little membrane that, that was holding it. Mm. And there's, there's space around that now. There's no, so there's no pressure being put on my brain in any way. So it's uh, it's really great news. I, I'm 
you know, obviously I wasn't probably lucky to get it in the first place, but having been dropped into that situation, I don't think there could have been a better outcome. It's just been amazing. That's that's great. I'm so glad you came through it uh, really well and that you, you had a good doctor. Absolutely, yeah. So lucky to be where I was at the right time at the right, and born at the right time for this stuff. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I was really amazed by was your attitude through it, not only in you being willing to share it with everyone, but the positive nature of your whole look on this thing. I know you had moments where where you got very sad and, and depressed about it, but I think overall mm-hmm. it seemed like you were you were not as down as a lot of other people might have experienced it. Mm. And I really admire that about how you handle it. That's, that's really amazing. That's yeah. Well, thanks. So I, I, I think if anything, and I've been saying this for years before even we found the tumor, but if anything, I'm a, I'm a terminal optimist, although behind that there's an insecure sort of scared person. Um, you know, like you said, we did have a moment. We, I remember, on the night that we got back from the hospital after after hearing, we'd we'd had a a pretty hectic day, and I, I'd been calm all through it. And but the then I actually the first time I cried was when I, I turned to my wife, and we were scared. We were both very scared. Um, but it was after I said, you know what, I still haven't been to Africa, and, and then all of the tears started coming out, and and I I uh, I had a bit of an emotional time, but. Generally, um, it was I was I was optimistic, and we were, and we had a lot of support. I mean, the the reaction from the commu- the photography community, oh, including yourself, of course, was amazing. We just had so many comments on my blog, and people in f- through various ways were just giving me so much love and support and good vibes. Yeah. It, it really helped to pull me through. When some people go through something like that, and they and they get through it, okay. Mm. It can be life-changing, and for mm. other people, it doesn't change much of anything. Mm. So, it, you know, you can have two extremes. You know how Hollywood handles it, mm. but what did it change in terms of what was happening in your life and the way you saw it? I think it it's changed the way I think about, well, how, how I'm planning my future. I I had plans to do s- certain things like um, lots of... Uh, international tours and things for with you know f- workshops and stuff like that, and I still am working on a number of plans. But what what I'm doing at the moment is really rethinking that, and I I want to touch more people rather than doing the the longer tours. and And part of it is because people don't seem to have the money at the moment to do the longer tours um, in certain ways. But it's um. It's really I'm changing the way I'm going to approach 2012 and and on, in that I I want to put myself in in a position to meet a lot more people, but without really having to having to force them to spend a lot of time in in various locations. I'm going to be in lots of different places, and I mean that that's kind of the exclusive that I've got for you today. In that I I'm tying up with a company. I can't say exactly yet who it is, but I'm tying up with a company that's going to put me basically in Antarctica and the Arctic and Russia and Iceland, Greenland and a whole bunch of places for literally half, over half of the the last six months of this year. Mm. And there's going to be opportunities for people to join me on those, but they're not my tours. It's it's basically me being a resident photographer with a, with a large expedition company. And so the reason I made that decision is 
partly based on the fact that I, I mean, I still haven't managed to, to set up a tour for Africa, but they're the second place that I wanted to go. There was always three places that I really wanted to go. Once I broke the cord from my old day job a few years ago and, and started to make this my, my life. One was Antarctica, which I realized in the, was it March and April last year? We went there. And the other is Africa. And the third is Iceland. And so I'm, I've basically, I've started to, to change things so that I can do some of the stuff that I really wanted to do, but in a way that, that it sort of, it still helps me to meet people and further my photography. And I'm kind of just rethinking some of my original plans that would have had me running all over the world, but, you know, which is great, but in, in a way that I wouldn't quite meet people, as many people as, as I'd like to. I mean, I, I think that one of the main thing I'm trying to say is that the way I'm going to work it now is that I, I want to get out there and put myself in a position to meet as many of the kind people that supported me over the last six months and shake as many hands and make as many face-to-face friends as possible. Um, without having to sort of take them out and uh, for like full weeks or two week tours mm-hmm. and things like that, so it's probably going to be more of a a weekend workshop based sort of tour around a lot of countries, and and I'm hoping that 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 has been put to the back burner a little bit. It's probably not going to happen this year. It'll probably be more like the beginning of next. But just basically rethinking all of it. But part of that as well is that we also reevaluated how much time I'm going to be able to spend at home and spending quality time with my wife. Um, although, like I said, just said, I'm going to be away for half of the lap, that, like, well, basically more than a quarter of this year I'll be out, which is pretty much counterintuitive to what I was just saying. But wh- while I'm home, I'm really making a lot of quality time to be, uh, like I work uh, in my studio during the day most of the time. But as soon as I'm finished, I, I just go straight downstairs and we spend the evening together, albeit with me with a laptop on my lap. Um, but <laughs> You know, we we really sort of reevaluated things and changed it in such a way that allows me, when I'm home, to spend a lot of time with my wife and then just really appreciate each other and the time. You know, we've been, I've been given a a second chance to to really continue to live out the life that I'd planned for myself. So we we want to make the most of it. Did you find that experience made you think of reassessing? some of the other things that were happening in your life and, and to the extent that you said, okay, that I'm definitely cutting out. I'm not going to spend any more time worrying about that. Or had you made the kinds of changes over the last year and a half to two years that you felt like most of what you were doing was what you wanted to be doing? I have a bit of a saying, and I don't know if, if this sounds a little bit conceited or not, but I people often ask me where this huge dollop of confidence I have comes from. A, a lot of it, what I say to people is, is that I... When, when I'm a, attempting to do something, they'll say, do, are you sure that you'll be able to do that? And I'll say, look, I've, I've never decided to do anything in my life based on whether or not I think I can do it. It's, it's whether or not I want to do it or not. I mean, part of cutting the cord from my old job was, was based on this, but I don't take on anything that I don't want to do for a couple of reasons. One is because I want to put everything that I've got into things that I do. You know, my my mum always used to say, if if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Whenever I decide to do something, I want to put my heart and soul into it. I want to make make, I want to put everything into it that I've that I've got. And so to do that, I just try to really avoid the jobs that I don't want to do. 
Um, obviously, I mean, I don't like accounting and I need to do that now. I've got my own, my own company, but you know, there are necessary evils. That, but in all of the, the photography jobs that I, that I take on and the expeditions that I, that I do and the workshops, anything that I do, I, I generally do it because I want to do it. And the confidence part there comes that if I, if I want to do something, it, you know, if it's physically humanly possible, then I'll generally, uh, I, I, I get so, wrapped up in things that I generally find a way to make it possible, you know, skill wise or money wise or, or however, I'll generally, once I've decided that I want to do something, I'll go off and, and make it happen. So yeah, really, I mean, a lot of the, the thing, the way things are turning out, it's all, it might not be exactly how I originally envisioned it when I, when I cut the cord from my old job, but it's all things that I really want to do. And I've been, I've been very happy so far with the way things are turning out and you know it's i think that in general things are going to change we're going to reshape as we move along and definitely the the, the tumor has had an effect on how we how we proceed yeah. but it but it's all just it's all stuff that i want to do and and feel really good about i think you you, you started your podcast a little before i did so i think yours is about five and a half to six years old is that right um yeah we're coming up it's just it's six and a half years now. I think six it was sept se September two thousand five. I released episode one. Okay, so you you started that program well before you you made the venture as, as a full time photographer. Yeah. And how did producing that show and and building a community community and interacting with people all over the world help you to make the choices that you made subsequently, particularly your choice to leave your job and make a go of it as a full-time photographer? There's a few things, really. The, I started the, the show, there was a, a very selfish reason and a, and a very sharing reason. The, the sharing reason is because I'd heard at the time, the only other photography podcast that I was aware of was, was um, our mutual friend Chris Marquardt's Tips from the Top Floor, there was Brooks Jensen's lens work. And I, I thought to myself, you know what? There's, there's room here in the middle for something a little bit maybe less philosophical than Brooks's, but, but a little bit more than Chris's and, and maybe less bubbly than Chris, but I'll get into a few different things. And so I, I decided that there was room for another podcast there. I mean, little did I know that there'd be room for hundreds more late in the, in the coming years, but. So I really decided that I'd got something to share that, that might help people in some way. So that was the, the sharing reason for starting it. But obviously behind that, I, I, I even called it the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast because I wanted it to not be about me as such, but my photography and using my photography as a way, as a means of helping others with theirs. You know, the, the generally each week we talk about various things that, I'm getting up to in my photographic life or we'll do like travelogue type things where I'll talk about the images that I've shot on a particular shoot and I'll, I'll give reasons why I made certain artistic decisions. I'll talk about the gear I used and things like that. So it is very much centered around my photography, although we do interviews with other people like, like, you know, with, with you that time as well. Um, but the, obviously the selfish reason behind that is that that gets my images into the eyes of so many more people than, would ever have seen my images than before, you know, if I'd not done the podcast. So there's a huge marketing value in doing a podcast that I, I basically recognized from the start as soon as I saw what Chris and Brooks were doing. 
And so, yeah, I mean, from the very start, I always had this idea that it would be a great marketing move to do it. I've just managed, luckily, to find the time or make the time to continue doing it. Apart from the, you know, the odd week when I've been away and and I've not been able to pre-record or like when I was having surgery and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I've I've managed to to release an episode pretty much every week for the last six and a half years. So, and that's paid off. You know, we've had some good sponsors from that from time to time, and there's a I, the the reason that I'm filling my tours and things is because people know me and know of the tours from my through my podcast, and so I'm. Uh, I'm, I've been I've been very lucky in that I found a medium that pe- that was new and and would allow me to build an audience, but in a, in a way that suits me. You know, again, it's like doing things that I want to do, and and if I find something that I want to do, I'll generally put everything I've got into it. How did the fact that you knew that you had all these eyes on you and your work impact your photography, or did it just really kind of impact what you decided to share with your audience? It impacted my to- my photography in a huge way. I I generally, as I started to go out, every every time I made a made a photograph, I was consciously aware that I might talk about that on the podcast. And so I found myself pretty pretty quickly after starting the podcast. When I was out shooting, I'd, I'd be thinking, okay, so I'm probably going to talk about this, and. I would start to run through a mental checklist as I was photographing, and I'd say, you know what? If you're composing it this way, how is that better than another way? Uh, or choosing to go with a long shutter speed here instead of you know a long exposure as, a, as opposed to a, a fast one and freezing the motion. Every decision I made, um, artistically and technically, I was running through this checklist in my mind, and I found myself starting to come back with from shoots with much better images uh, it basically this checklist corrected all of the faults that i would have would probably have made and if i'd got no real goal in my photography then i would have made a lot more mistakes and i i generally found myself correcting it, issues before i made them even or as i made them mm-hmm. and it, it really it my my photography's improved a great deal i mean i, I know that i i've still got a long way to go but the, my photography improved a great deal over the last six years, and I don't know how much of that would have been organic and just would have happened anyway, because obviously the more anyone shoots, the better you get, hopefully. But I, I certainly feel that the conscious decisions behind the, you know, some of the things that I, that I was doing while I was shooting were directly um, related to the fact that I was going to talk about a lot of the things that I did on the podcast. Yeah. You know, creating a show like that, you know, there's a a good number of people there that end up being your audience with whom Mm. you don't really have any direct contact. But one of the things that you did differently from a lot of people was create that that message board and create a a real sense of community. So from what I've read there, it looks like you've developed a lot of long-term relationships with people, some of whom you've never really met in, Mm. in person. Talk about that part of it, because I think that's one of the big reasons why you've been really successful in doing so much with this with this medium. I actually I went to college to learn multimedia and various computer sort of software and things here in Japan when I was I think I was 20, 27 or twenty eight when I when I started that I'd already been out into society and went back into education for a while and at that time I learned a lot of computer skills that have really kept me in good stead. And, and I, 
was able to use that to put together. I mean, it's pretty easy to do now, but it wasn't quite as easy six years ago. But I was able to sort of link together a number of sites, including the the PHPBB forum that we use. And I figured from the from I mean, I'd, I'd got the forum be, from way before the podcast started. But as soon as I started the podcast, I realized that there was probably going to be some people were probably going to want to discuss things and, and really communicate and, and form a community. So I started to mention the fact that I got the forum there pretty much organically as I, as I got into the, the first few episodes. The, the number of people signing up for the forum just, just exploded. So uh, luckily, though, we, we've attracted people that are we, – we've only ever had one or two trolls. Um, and because I'm, I'm lucky that I, I have a, a few great moderators, some, some of the people that help moderate there are, are on the, a lot of them are based in the US. So we, we cover, with me being in Japan, we cover the, the whole time zone. You know, all of, we, we're, we're pretty much someone online most of the time. And so we can, we can nip the spam and trolls in the bud pretty quickly. But it's, it's, a lot of the time it hasn't been necessary because we've, we've just attracted so many amazing people to the community. You know, it ranges from people that have just brought a camera to people that are, are have been doing photography professionally for a number of years, and it's it's a real just a really good environment. Uh, everybody helps each other out. Um, doesn't matter how basic the questions are. People are generally, uh, you know, there's no flaming and no ridicule. It's just okay, yeah. So this is this is why that you have a shutter button, <laughs> or mm-hmm. or you know, we can get in some really deep comp- uh, topics as well. But it's um, it it just yeah it sprang up and just really became a a center for people to sort of go in and talk about photography and and even when there's been times when I've been too busy to get in there myself and really get stuck into the conversations it's thrived as a community and and we also what, what the other thing I did on request from this was after this we started the podcast was the community asked for a gallery where they could share their own photos so I mean with one of want for a better name we we couldn't think of a really good name for the domain name so we went with mbpgalleries.com and basically what we did there was we we gave the community a place to share their own images that's taken off as well we we do a monthly assignment there where i set a, a theme usually based on feedback from the community again mm-hmm. we, we're very we're very democratic <laughs> um <laughs> But we uh, we set a theme each month, and then everybody goes off and tries to shoot for that, and then we we put the the images into a set gallery for that particular assignment, and then I, I built a again because of my technical background, I, I was able to build a a voting system where where people can vote from one to five, so we select our five favorites, and then I run a script to create another page that that shows the winners and the four follow the four runners up, and so we've got a lot of little things like that that we did and. Because of the technical background, I made it all pretty much automatic. It just means most of the stuff that I do is just one or two clicks of a mouse button. So it's not too much overhead to run either. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice that you're able to take a, a practice, which is often done in isolation, and build something from that. You know, because mm. you, oftentimes we're shooting alone, we're in front of the computer processing our images and printing alone. Yet it's the dynamic of being able to share something you love with someone else mm. on a regular basis that makes part of what we do a big part of our lives in a real positive way. Because otherwise you yeah. could be, you know, some hermit, you know, in some cave somewhere with nothing to illuminate you but the glow of your computer. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. I, it's it's turned out good. I, I I was always sharing my images. A, a friend of mine years ago, um, a, a guy that I met here in Japan, actually, when he went home to the states, he he built a website called Trek Earth, and it was. It was it's a relatively small site to begin with, but that took off. And I remember getting stuck in and and sharing images. They were pretty bad images at the time, but I remember sharing images in there as well from the probably uh, it must have been the late uh, 90s or early 2000s when he started that. But yeah, I remember sharing images from from pretty much as soon as digital came in. So you know, I think I, I got my first digital camera in. 99 and then my first digital slr in 2001 or 2002 so i've always been sort of wanting to share that but once once the barriers you know i mean scanning filming was was one way and i did that to begin with but once the barriers got so low i've always been one for sharing my images and and sharing how i made them which seems to have been a bigger a bigger part of the the growing of the community yeah since you know you get your health back, how mm. how has your shooting changed, or has it changed at all since you've been able to get back up to snuff in terms of going out there and and making photographs again? Well, so far, I'm I'm not really sure that it has changed a lot. Um, basically, really, but because the a lot of the shooting that I've been doing so far since coming out of the you know getting being able to shoot again. Um, has been for work and I've, I've been doing, you know, I'm generally known through my podcast for my nature and wildlife work, but I also, as part of my business, I do portraiture and, um, I, the, a lot of the work that I've been doing has been doing portrait work for families around Tokyo. So that is relatively restricted to a, you know, what the, what the people need with a bit of your own artistic flair. So I've not really so far not been able to to tell a lot of difference, but the the, the nature work that I have done, photographing hooper swans uh, in a, at a pond a few hours from here and stuff like that, I've not really noticed yet how in any way that it's different. But I, I do expect that as I as I get out into the into the the year in 2012, there'll probably be areas that I do notice, but it, it hasn't really shown itself in any way so far mm. you weren't primarily a people photographer um <laughs> and so i know that it's a choice that you've made that's a practical choice in terms of your photographic business but you mentioned before about not wanting to do stuff that you don't really want to do mm. so how does that sort of sensibility play into the practical one of having to become a portrait photographer in order to sustain the business Mm. Yeah, I, re- I remember us talking on a Focus Ring podcast a few years ago, and you, it was probably f- maybe even sort of four or even five years or so ago. And I remember saying that we were talking about portraits, and it was actually more street photography of portraits in, street, in the streets. I remember a hearty laugh from you as I said that I'd probably, if I had to shoot portraits, I'd do it with my 600 millimeter <laughs> so, so, that I, so that I could uh, keep my distance to, to the, for the sub, from the subject. And originally, uh, street photography, uh, even even now, scares the hell out of me. As far as um, got walking up to someone and saying, "Is it okay if I if I make your photograph?" and and I I'll do it now more than I much more than I used to. But in portraiture for as a business, 
it's it's more about the relationship directly with a person and just you know you, you find the customer or the customer finds you and then you you talk with them about what they want and then you make that happen and on the technical side it's it's you know it requires different skills i mean i, I now own a, a whole range of um pro photo monolights and and lighting light modifiers and things like that so i can take a studio to my customer or or even a commercial client's offices or or studios I think the, the the reason that I was able to do it is because I'm, I found that I really enjoyed it. And, I mean, again, I wouldn't have made this part of my business if I didn't really enjoy it. And so what I did was I, I started to to make portraits. Rather than street photography, I started to make portraits. Having spoken directly with a person, getting the permission to do that, and then spending a little bit of time making the image, I I found that I really liked it. And and I think that it was probably, it probably did come from street photography in that although I'm not very good at doing it here in Japan, I, I don't think that it's it's the the place for me to do that. When I went to India a couple of times, I found myself in a position where I, I was getting some portraits of the people that I met there, that and it was usually on on obviously not understanding the language. It was usually just a, a show the camera, a smile, and, and sort of say, is, is it okay with my eyes? And then they'd, they'd sort of look at me, give me a little wry smile. And I'd, I'd, I made some photographs in India that changed the way I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I just really, I found myself feeling as excited about looking at the portraits that I came back from India as I would of a, of a, a study of a, tra- of a crane or, a, or a, you know, some wildlife here in Japan. And so I, I thought, you know what, there might be something here for me to, to expand on. And the the weather here in Japan also gives you gives me a number of months through the year where I don't really want to be outside because it's just too hot and sticky. Yeah. And so I I thought to myself, you know, try and build something around this. So I, I just started to initially make portraits of people that I know and. I, I built from there into a position, a, a, a place where I, I was really starting to feel confident in my portraiture work, and I, so I, I just decided that it was it would be good to make that part of the business, and I've really enjoyed it. It's 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 taking up a a reason or making up a, a reasonable percentage of my my current income as a as a full time photographer. Hmm. Well, I know that you're officially Japanese, but the accent tips me off that you didn't start <laughs> off that way. <laughs> I know you recently became a Japanese citizen, but how is the fact that you're originally from somewhere else influence your interaction with these people in terms of not only developing your client base, but maybe in terms of what insights has it given you that helps you in mm. terms of serving their needs in terms of portrait photography? A foreigner or or a, an, an outsider here in Japan is usually treated differently, even if I, I write my name in the Japanese characters now. They generally, the Japanese people will, will sort of, they'll remain a little bit distant until you, until you become like good friends. But the people generally that you meet, they'll be a little bit distant and they'll, they'll treat you differently. They'll often treat you better than they would treat themselves just because that you've got this, this distance between you based on your culture or your, your nationality. And so, there's always been a slightly you feel a little bit special most of the time as far as my photography is concerned they i think people are are hiring me 
partly because, if you know, if not sometimes mainly because I'm, it, it's a, it's a status thing. You know, they, they've got this. They can say that they had the photo, photographs taken by Martin Bailey as opposed to another Japanese name. And although obviously there are there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of really good Japanese photographers, they I think that part of it is is a little bit of a status. Thing. And one thing that started to happen, and, and this is, it really makes me happy, but I totally didn't, uh, didn't expect this, is that um, part of the product that I produce for, for customers has been uh, on request. A lot of them wanted cards to send, like year-end cards and things like that. And because instead of Christmas cards here, they send a postcard for New Year. And a couple of customers this year uh, requested me to make them. And I said, okay, again, I, I had to do this. Do I want to do this or not sort of routine? I didn't want to do it. I'm not a printing, a printing company as such that is going to churn out hundreds of cards for a few dollars. But I said, okay, I'll, I said, sure, I'll do it. But they're going to be through like $3 each. And I, I printed them out on large sheets and chopped them up with a rotary cutter. And so I made a, a few hundred dollars for a morning work. And I kind of, made myself put myself in a position where if I took the job I wouldn't resent having to do it and so I I sort of I gave myself enough of a financial reward to make that viable but they they bought it the the thing that really surprised me was that they they requested for me to put my logo on there so mm. obviously what they're doing there is they're saying to me that we are are paying this probably a, a premium over what we could get cards printed for at anywhere at just anywhere we're going to pay that premium because we're buying the brand of martin bailey photography that made me really happy it was you know both of these families that re requested these cards had me put that on there and i i said you know i don't have to I, I i don't normally put that on like prints and things i said no we want people to see that you shot our portraits and that you created these cards they they had me do that, and that that really really made me feel happy. That's that's a wonderful compliment. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So when you're photographing the furry and the feathery things, well, <laughs> I know this is a, a really big part of of your photography. What have you mm. been turning your lens to uh, lately, and or or more importantly, what's what's some of the subject matter that you want to explore that you haven't or, already? Because you've you've covered a lot of territory already. Yeah. I really want to explore the wildlife in in other countries. I, I want there's a couple of things that I want to do. I, I want to continue to photograph Japan. Japan has some beautiful um natural areas and the wildlife in a, in a lot of the places, particularly Nagano with the monkeys, the snow monkeys and then Hokkaido where we're going on my tour in both both of these we're going on there in a couple of weeks time now. I want to continue to to deepen my appreciation and, and my ability to really capture the soul of those the, the landscapes and the wildlife in those locations, but I also I, I really want to get into the I mean still Africa is a big thing for me. If any tour operators in Africa or people that work in Africa listen to this, drop me a line because I'm, I've been trying to find a few places to work with me unsuccessfully over the last six months and. It's, it's starting to really affect me. But mm. I want to arrange a tour to go to Africa um, 
so that I can again share my experiences with people. But also, I, I really want to to capture some of the the really the big wildlife and the the amazing wildlife of Africa. Um, but also, I mean, I Africa is an ext- extreme as far as the you know it's a, it's a hot and often dry or, or often you know a pretty uh, pretty sticky place to be like Tokyo in the summer. I also I really enjoy the cold places as well. So. Antarctica was a blast. We we had a really good time down there. So you know the fact that I'll probably be back there three times in a row ne- in this uh, November is amazing. Um, but also, like I said, I'm with Iceland, Greenland, and going up into the Antarctic, into the Arctic, and hopefully, you know, I, I well we've got polar bears up there, and there's a lot of, a lot of amazing wildlife and scenery in these other extreme cold places that. I'm just really looking forward to to spending time with. I, I think that we're we're the modern day hunter. You know, the hundred years ago, people would would run off to Africa with a big gun and shoot everything they saw, and we now go over there and shoot it with our, our cameras. And I think that we we get the the same sort of trophies, but now those trophies don't hang dead on the wall. They 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 give us a, a means to show other people the how beautiful. The, the subjects are and hopefully in some way help that particular animal. You know, we, I think that the, the revenue from people wanting to photo- for photograph or see these animals is certainly helping with the, the preservation of the, the areas that they live in. So I think that the, it's a win-win situation now rather than a, a, a win-lose one. Yeah. You serve as a, as a teacher and a mentor to a lot of people when it comes to photographing animals. But once you get past this technical stuff mm. with respect to the camera, you know, the fo- what focal length do you use, how do you meter, and all those other things, after people have gotten that, what do you think they need to start considering in order to improve their photography, whether they're photographing mammals or, or birds or, or whatever? Good question. I think that the... Um one of the sort of photographs that I've started to really take a lot of is what what I'm calling studies, and these are it, it's like the, we we used one on the front of my craft and vision book that was released a few weeks ago. I'm really enjoying capturing the the quiet moments when, although I'm I'm personifying the wildlife here, and and you know maybe they don't have quite as as higher level of consci- consciousness as, as I'm probably portraying, but you know, it's like the 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 image that we used on the cover of the book is of a, a red crowned crane in Hokkaido that is sort of bowing. I, I was going to say her because it looks so feminine, but it, it's probably a guy with the size of the the size of the crane. But he's sort of bowing his head down in a way that almost looks shy and sort of reserved, and it, it seems to represent like Japan and the Japanese culture, as well as the beauty of the nature here. And and I think that at the moment, I'm really enjoying capturing something a little bit more than just a, uh, even just a portrait of a, of a, a particular subject of, of wildlife. Um, the same with the monkeys. I mean, monkeys, the snow monkeys have got these almost human features that we relate to much more than birds even. And you can get these expressions that just, it, it transcends uh, just a normal wildlife image in that uh, one one particular photo from last year that I, I've been really happy with was there was there was an, an older 
probably the age-wise, probably about the the grandfather of a, of a younger snow monkey that was the the long the the large obviously the adult was shaking the snow off of his mane. You know, when when the the, the males get pretty big, they have kind of a mane, and he shook his head like rotating the head around to shake the snow off. And there was a a young, probably a a one or two year old snow monkey to his left, uh, you know, on the the right side of the frame, that was looking up with his head sort of tilted over at one angle, as animals do when they when they're trying to figure out what's happening. Um, and the look on his face as he sort of literally revered this this elder snow monkey was so human and so. And even if you don't try to personify it, you know, the the way it it was looking at it was just full of awe and wonder and and i just felt as though i was capturing not just a a moment in time for the animals but a, a real a really sort of deep uh, interconnection between them and so i think that it's it's really now as i as I, I mean even when i said earlier that i want to i want to deepen my appreciation for these animals i was thinking about the fact that you know i really want to capture their soul as much as i i want to capture the likeness. Mm. Well, you just mentioned your your new book, uh, a craft and vision book on printing. Why don't you uh, tell us a little about that, the impetus for it, and, and what people can expect to pick it up? I mean, basically, I'd I'd been talking with David Duchemin a number of times. Um, it was about the time that we spoke last year, and part of it was was because of the 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 surgery and you know the the tumor and stuff and. At the time, David had just had his his nasty fall in Italy, and so uh, we we temporarily formed the almost dead photographers' society. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, luckily, once David had had got out of the the re- his rehabilitation, we were able to disband that. But it gave us a connection, and and David was aware that I was I was a relatively accomplished printer. I love printing. He he basically asked me if I if I had a printing book in me. Uh, and he, he specifically asked for something that wasn't going to be too overly technical, um, because you know a lot of the, a lot of the time, photographers don't want to get into you know how you make a rip and how you, you know, do all of the really deep, the deep technical parts of printing. They just want to be able to turn on the printer and make a good print without going too overly technical. And that, I mean, obviously, I jumped at the chance that uh, it suits me down to the ground because I don't. Well, I, I know a lot of the the more deeper technical aspects of printing, but only by name. You know, I don't really jump in there and get totally technical myself. So, but I, I've still I've been printing for um, probably the best side of fifteen years now with my own uh, inkjet printers, and I I know a lot of tricks to to make it easy and pretty stress free for the photographer without jumping in and having to learn so much of the technical and so that's what we did i mean i like i said i jumped at the chance to write the book and i basically spent a few weeks um i think it was last september when i when i went through and started it and we we put together uh, a draft i say we i put together a draft that we uh, i sent over to to david and the, and the team that uh, that went down well so then i spent another few weeks really sort of filling it out and photographing additional things that I needed for the book in my studio. And so, you know, really what we covered is from the very start, you know, from selecting a printer, the sort of thing, if you don't already have a printer, 
the sort of things that you need to bear in mind when buying one. Um, uh, like, like for example, you know, making sure that you get what, uh, one that is a, a reasonable separate number of ink cartridges instead of just one. Like a few years ago, it used to be you just drop one cartridge and then when, when the red runs out, you have to throw the rest out. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. Um, but then we, you know, we went through to selecting papers and then taking control of the process by selecting your own profiles that obviously a lot of the time come with the printer or from the manufacturers. And then we, we built on that um, to, to the point where we split the book into two parts. And the first one was let's make a print and just, you know, just actually getting a printer, selecting some papers, taking a little bit of control of the process and making a print that you're going to be relatively happy with. So then in the second part, we step it up and we basically start to go into how to select fine art papers. And, you know, I go into some of my preferences as to what, you know, the sort of papers that I use and also and have used. And then we, we also, we get into calibration. You know, you can't really, one of the first, most frustrating things with, with printing is that people uh, often, they, they end up with very dark prints and things like that, as opposed to what they, you know, what they're seeing on the screen. But that's really a lot of, a lot of that is because the screen's too bright. Now, I think actually we, 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 dark, we darken the screen down from an early stage. But then in the second part, we get into calibration and using you know, proper calibration tools to go through and, and make sure that your colors are looking good. And then we also go into not just printing with profiles from the manufacturer, but creating your own profiles. And so, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of information in there that really gets you printing easily without too much frustration. And when there is some, there are obviously going to be times when it doesn't work quite as well as, as you'd hope. So we go into soft proofing and correcting images in Photoshop. Uh, Lightroom now has, soft proofing in there so what we actually we were able to put a little note in the book to go and check at my blog and so now i do have a blog post that that goes into soft proofing in lightroom 4 as well okay. um but we, you know we we really um we wrapped it up with how to create a gallery wrap a canvas gallery wrap and printing for exhibition exhibition stuff like that and so we really covered the whole gamut from for, for a, a beginning to a relatively experienced printing photographer and so hopefully it demystifies some of the the uh the stuff and th- there's probably going to be people that will that are really into it that say yeah oh, well there's nothing really in here that i i don't already know and if that's the case then you know that that's that's a shame but it, it's I, I think that for the majority of printers the of photographers that just want to make a good print and have maybe had a got a bad taste in their mouth from from how they were you know from the results that they were seeing a few years ago Hopefully it'll benefit a lot of people and, and we'll see. And, and it, it seems to have, have taken off pretty well. I and mean, so far we're, we're moving a fair amount of units. So mm. it's, I think it's hit the right chord. Good. Well, my last question is to ask my guest to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. It can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? You can't you can't imagine how happy I feel sitting here listening to your deep voice asking that question. <laughs> I've I've heard you say that so many times over the years and and always because we've always communicated offline not not offline yeah but in different forums as well. 
it's uh, I, I know you well enough to have a, always have a smile on my face as you ask that others, and it makes me feel really happy to have you asking me. Um, I it's difficult, obviously, and and I I actually I've spent a lot of time thinking of this, thinking about this over the years. There's I'm not going to mention names to, uh, for the first part of what I'm going to say because you know, at the moment there are a lot of great photographers. There's thousands of amazing, pretty much unnamed photographers out there at the moment. But for me to really want to, to mention a person as my favorite, I, I really was, I want a little bit more. And so I'm, I, I, at the moment I'm looking at business ethics and humor and all of the human qualities in a photographer that raised them above the crowd. And there are a few names that come to mind, um, which I, I won't mention for now. Um, but if I, if I have to select one person that, uh, that often comes back into mind when I think of my favorite photographer, I'm going to go for a Japanese photographer named Michio Hoshino. And this guy is unfortunately no longer with us. He, he was born in 1952, I believe. And he he basically saw a, a, an aerial photo of a small Alaskan town when he was in, about sixteen, and he wrote a town to the, a, a letter to the mayor of the town asking if he could visit. And he just fell in love with Alaska. He went back there as a photographer when he was twenty, and spent most of his life photographing the the landscapes and the the wildlife in Alaska. But unfortunately, he was killed in 96 by a bear. Uh, I think they, I even heard that they didn't find his body, so the bears probably totally ate him. Mm. Um, so, but, he, I mean, he died doing what he loved. And the reason that he, he's, he left thousands of beautiful photographs that, uh, you know, even, they stand the test of time. They were all obviously film, and they stand the test of time. They look beautiful. But... One of the reasons that I really liked the way, uh, well, not so much his, his images, but Hoshino as a, as a photographer and as an artist was they, they found a, it, it's kind of a proverb, a Japanese proverb in one of his uh, junior high school uh, textbooks. And he wrote in there, Asaki kawa mo fukaku watare which in Japanese, it basically means cross the shallow river deeply. And that's, that is a Japanese proverb. And it's slight, written slightly different to that usually. And it usually means to be careful, even, you know, even if the task looks relatively easy, do it carefully and don't, don't sort of let up. And, and that kind of relates to how I a, approach all of my jobs as well. I think that Hoshino meant more than that. I think he meant it more of if you've got a chance to have an experience, even if it's just it's like crossing a shallow river, make the most of that experience. Make the most of, of your time here. You know, really sort of cross, cross the shallow river as though you're crossing a raging torrent and really make the most of everything that you do. And that's kind of been my mantra in life as well. So yeah. that's the main reason why I, li I like him. That's an awesome sentiment. Yeah. Well, Martin, for people to find out about everything that you're doing, where is the best place to go? Well, I've, I've got a link to pretty much everything that I'm into on the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Martin Bailey. And uh, I'm also very much into G plus at the moment, Google plus at the moment. So 
you can you can find me there with a short link mvp.ac slash g plus well martin i'm glad we finally had the chance to sit down and, and do this for real it was a real pleasure thank you thank you it, it was a total pleasure for me to be right next Next time on The Candid Frame. Warren Keating is a painter who has based his popular overhead series on images he's produced with a digital video camera. I hope that our discussion of the unique way he markets and sells his work will provide you some food for thought when it comes to marketing and selling your own photography. And the lesson has been, go with your individuality. Don't try to tailor to the market. I make much more money now, you know, selling the, the paintings that, that only I do and that are unique to me and that I believe in and not trying to make paintings that are marketable. A lot of the paintings I saw have this direct communication with the collector back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, and they tell me about hanging it up and their wife likes it. And, you know, it's really very nice to have that feedback. That's with any artist or performer, anyone in the arts, they need the audience. Yeah. They need the feedback. You know, it's nice getting it from these people that buy my work online. So like I said, there's a revolution, a very quiet revolution happening. The Candid Frame is supported by donations by people just like you. You can contribute to the show by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com where you'll find other resources about our guests as well as articles and links we think you'll find valuable. The show is edited by Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>